The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the podcast. This is Bitter Blood, Kasem versus Kasem. Episode 1, Cover of Darkness. I'm Martin Cove, actor, director, and a longtime friend of Casey Kasem's family. Casey's voice and legacy is iconic. It has meant so much to me in my lifetime, and it's an honor to tell the story of his life and what happened to him. It's after midnight on May 7th, 2014. The streets are quiet in Los Angeles. The usual traffic and pollution have dissipated, and the air is crisp and clear. Berkeley East, a hospital in the beach town of Santa Monica, looks like a typical affluent nursing home with palm trees lining the front for a bit of Hollywood flair. Tonight, in a private room, America's most beloved radio DJ and host of American Top 40 is sleeping. Around 1.30 a.m., surveillance video captures two black SUVs pulling into the hospital's underground parking lot. Three women leap out of the vehicles and dash into the building. An hour later, the video picks up the three women again. This time, they're hurrying out of the building and pushing an elderly man in a wheelchair. That man is Casey Kasem. He is now 82 years old and frail and has been in the hospital for more than three months. His eyes open wide. He looks confused, afraid. They got the doctor on the phone, and he said, you cannot do this. You cannot move this man. Casey is lifted and shoved into the back of the SUV, with only his feeding source attached to it. He's quickly and forcefully strapped in. The SUV pulls out of the parking garage, and vanishes into the night. He has the most recognizable voice in America, but his own children but tonight, have no All voice. eyes are searching for the radio legend who has gone... Casey Kasem's disappearance makes headlines around the world. The children of the radio star are desperate to find their father. Casey's oldest daughter, Carrie. So what we know now is that Gene went in at 2.30 in the morning against medical advice, disconnected my dad from life-preserving medical equipment. And now we're worried for his safety. We're worried for his life. But this is not the first time that Casey's oldest children have been cut off from him. Seven months earlier, 
Casey Kasem's home is nestled in the leafy, idyllic neighborhood of Holmby Hills in the Bel Air section of Los Angeles, with neighbors like Michael Jackson, Neil Diamond, and Rod Stewart. The estate has seven bedrooms, ten and a half bathrooms, a hair salon, a par three golf course, and a heart-shaped pool with two bathhouses. Casey has lived here for over 20 years with his second wife, Jean, and their daughter, Liberty. Today, there's an unusual and disruptive scene in front of the main gate of the house. A mass of people protesting with signs. I'm outside my dad's house with everybody I've called to meet me there, everybody that can't get a hold of him. And my sign says exactly what I wanted it to. Jean, why won't you let me see my dad? For most of his life, Casey has surrounded himself with his friends and family, especially his three children from his first marriage. Casey's daughter, Julie, spoke about their bond at a conference in 2019. My brother, Mike, and my sister, Carrie, and I had, like, the best relationship with my dad. He was the best dad, just cared so much about us, loved us to no end, loved his family. All that he ever said, he would say, you know, if people ask you if you're rich, you tell them you're rich in love. Again, Carrie Kasem. We saw dad every weekend, and he called us every single day to check in on us. If you know anything about Middle Eastern families, that's, you know, mom and dad. But after he got sick, I mean, we, we got closer. We just, we called him every day, even if he couldn't get to a phone. Six years earlier, in 2007, Casey began having symptoms, which doctors initially diagnosed as Parkinson's. The one thing that was different was my dad would hallucinate when he was visiting with us. And my sister, who is a physician's assistant, thought that seemed off. It didn't really seem like Parkinson's. Casey is eventually diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, a neurological disorder that affects thinking, memory, and motor control. As his health declines, Casey's wife, Jean, begins isolating him from his loved ones. I would have to ask her when I could see him. For Casey's brother, Munir, it begins gradually. I couldn't just go and see him. Her approval will have to be there. So I spent some time, and I would call every now and then and talk to him until I started calling and couldn't get him. And I'd say, okay, you know, could he call me and that? Because there'd be an answer. And so I'd say, you know, have him call. And I hear nothing, so I'd call again. But then these calls weren't even answered. We started getting the, oh, your dad's too tired. Oh, he can't come to the phone. Uh, Excuse after excuse about why we couldn't talk to my dad or see my dad on the weekends, which we had every single weekend. It got to be a few weeks later, and the excuses were, oh, his driver can't take him. Oh, his driver's in Las Vegas. His mom is sick. Which we found out months later that that wasn't true. Casey's driver, Tony DeLeon, worked for the Kasem family for more than 15 years. 
This is Tony speaking through a translator. Yeah, what I remember is that she would tell him to invent any excuse. She would say to Mr. Kasem, tell them that you can't. You can't right now. You don't feel well. Casey's oldest kids call and email Jean, trying to schedule a visit. Jean has made it clear they can't show up uninvited, as she won't open the gate to the estate. As the months pass, with no response, their worry turns to deep concern. Julie speaks about that at a 2019 conference. Two weeks went by, three weeks went by, four weeks went by, five weeks went by, finally said, enough is enough. I drove over to the house, went into, the gate was open, drove in, there she was, and I said, I'm here to see my dad. She's like, well, you're not going to see him. And I said, well, my dad is ill. And she said, you know that when your dad dies, you're getting a million dollars. That's what she said to me. I said, you can give me a million dollars right now to walk out of here, and I wouldn't do it. I'm here to see my dad. This isn't about money. Well, you think you're going to be able to see your dad every week? I, yeah, I do. That's my dad. That's blood, you know. Well, you're not, and... I'll call you when we're ready for you to see him. Well, I knew what that meant. So I was hysterical. I was bawling. Carrie Kasem. I get a call from my sister saying she's hysterical. She's crying because we've tried for months and months to get through to my dad. We don't know what's happening. We're terrified. And she said, you know, Jean just kicked me off the property. And, you know, she says we can't see dad anymore. And she's crying hysterically. I start crying. Um, I call the police and adult protective services. And, you know, they could do nothing. Literally do nothing. And it was, it was a really terrifying, sad, scary situation that we are all in. Jesse Cove, Carrie's ex-boyfriend and my son, remembers her feeling desperate and helpless. The system that they had in place about visiting their dad, which was which was nice, all of a sudden it it just stopped. We were in Las Vegas together. She was um, she was doing an award show. Uh, they wanted her to present at this award show. You know, we were driving back to L.A. and again, she was denied to see her dad. This was very stressful for her. Like. She wants to see her dad. He's not doing well. And she literally is sitting in the car and she says out loud, she goes, I'm going to protest. You know, so she's literally sitting in the car and she goes, I'm going to protest to see my dad. And I go, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? It wasn't just us kids that couldn't reach my dad. It was everyone that ever knew and loved him, including his own brother. So I thought, I'm going to get everybody that can't get a hold of my dad out there holding signs saying, we love you, we're your voice now, I'm your friend of 64 years, you know, right-hand man for 27 years. It was like all of his most beloved family members, friends, people who knew him that could not get a hold of him. I said, and I remember saying this, I said, if it's just me standing out there with a sign saying, Gene, why won't you let me see my dad? It's going to look like a fight between stepkids and stepmother. But if we get everybody out there who can't get a hold of my dad, people are going to know something's up. 
some of Casey's friends for 60 fucking years. Excuse my French. I'm just, you know, I have to emphasize on that. Like, that's, that's something that you can't just throw away. Munir flies in from Michigan to stand outside his brother's house and hold a sign for hours, just hoping Casey will see him. I was protesting with my nieces, and we were all out there, and I was right out there with them. We wanted to see my brother. It's all on tape, because Jean said that we destroyed her lawn, that we climbed the gate, that we were screaming. She called the cops and said that we were breaking into her house. There were one or two helicopters that came out, the seven or eight police cars. None of that was true, and we had it all on video. So they went in to talk to Jean. Of course, she's crying and screaming. Arriving police officers question Carrie outside her dad's home. You know, that's so we're here to say that we want to see my dad, our friend, my dad's brother. He's from Michigan and everyone who loves him. Yes. Best friend of 63 years. All these people left my phone. Uh, we just want to see him. That's it. We don't want anything except to see my dad. And she won't answer our phone calls or our emails. My dad's very ill and he loves us. Is your, is your father mentally capable of making his own decisions? No. The officers allow the group to continue holding vigil outside the house. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate everyone being civil. And if you would... Just stay where you are is good, just so the traffic can be You got it. Thank you. You got it. So, you know, the cops came and TMZ showed up. And as crazy as it sounds, it was also, like, really beautiful at the same time. Dad, we're here for you. We want to see you. We love you. We haven't abandoned you. We are here. Despite the chants and protests from over two dozen people, their voices never pierce through the mansion walls. Casey's in a room on the other side of the home. After the protest, Gene places Casey into several different care facilities. She would use the hospitals, the local hospitals in the area, as a babysitter. She'd drop him off there and not pick him up. We have doctor after doctor saying, can't get a hold of wife, can't get a hold of wife, can't get a hold of wife, can't get a hold, I mean, sheets of it, of can't get a hold of wife. And then they had to call Adult Protective Services on her twice to pick up her own husband. What's worse, she never tells Casey's loved ones where he's going. This is CNN. This is Piers Morgan Live. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. Tonight, Family Feud. Casey Kasem, the voice of America's top 40 for generations. Why his kids are fighting his step, their stepmother to see him. I mean, if, if she's watching tonight, she probably is, right? Your stepmother, Jean. What, talk directly to her. What would you say to her? Wow, I mean... You know, it's, it's so tough because, you, you, you know, when you know somebody or you've met somebody before and you know them just a little bit, you know how to approach them. And with Jean... We don't know her. I don't think she knows but us. But given nothing has worked so far, now's your chance. You're live on CNN. Yeah. What do you want to say to this person to try and 
make her see sense and let two obviously loving children would, see their father. Piers, we've said everything we needed to say to her, whether it's in, in to a camera, whether it's to you, whether it's to a judge or to our lawyers. I mean, but we what, love- it's about, what it's about, it, and more than, more than us, is our dad. And, you know, him having just some stimulation and love and, and care around him uh, provided by, you know, everybody, in, including us. In early 2014, after numerous court visits by Casey's eldest children, Jean finally tells the judge where Casey is. She then allows Casey's brother Munir and his wife Mary a 20-minute visit at a hospital in the San Fernando Valley. Munir's wife, Mary Kasem. At first she wouldn't let anybody in, but she sent me this email saying, okay, yeah, I have decided to let you guys visit uh, Casey in the hospital. Mary and Munir hop on a plane from Michigan to Los Angeles for a long-awaited reunion with his brother. Once in L.A., they rush straight to the hospital. I got stopped. There was a man there, a guard or somebody there, saying, hey, you can't go. No, he's my brother. Well, you got to sign this paper before you go. So I had to sign a piece of paper. I didn't care what was on a damn paper as long as I could see my brother. And so I signed it. That same guard stands in the corner watching the two men catch up on lost time. Their conversation and every gesture is being documented for a thorough report to Gene. When Manier first got into the room and Manier tapped him on the, the arm and said, uh, Hi, it's Manier. And then we got this email from her lawyer that said Manier was no longer able to visit him because he vigorously shaked Casey when he was in the room visiting. So, you know, we talked to the security guard. The security guard said, I never said that. And he read it right back to us. And no, he never did say that. After several failed attempts to see Casey, Mary and Munir fly back to Michigan. Munir has no idea this is the last time he'll speak to his brother. Jean and her attorney deny him any further visits. It was really emotional for me and from my perspective because I'm losing a really good friend but my nieces and nephew are, are losing their father, and my husband is losing his brother. I had to deal with all of that. Shortly afterwards, Casey's children are again denied access to their father. In the months that follow, every attempt Casey's loved ones make to connect with him is denied. In court filings, Jean describes the elder Kasem children as a, quote, toxic presence that had irreparably shattered the lives of their father, his wife, and youngest daughter. Carrie researches her legal rights, making court appearances, all in an attempt to see her father. At this point, she can't even locate him. So after my dad leaves the Tarzana facility, We have no idea if he's gone home or somewhere else. 
What we do know is that he's not doing well. And we don't know how much time he has left. Then a gift comes in the form of a tip from TMZ, the online tabloid. A reporter reaches out to Julie Kasem saying, we know where your dad is. Carrie once again gathers friends and family members. And then after that, we did a birthday vigil for my dad's birthday, April 27th, outside Berkeley East Hospital. We had about 70 people. We had a cake. It was really, it was, it was beautiful. And we, everybody brought cards and gifts so they could give it to my dad. But I don't think they ever did. There's one picture that I have that really summed up this whole experience for me. It almost like makes me fucking cry when I think about it. And it was just a photo of her standing there holding balloons. And she's looking up at her at the home and she's just standing there. And there's people around her and it just sums up this perfect image of like a little girl wanting to see her dad. And I remember I took that picture. It was just, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Images from the protest make headlines, catching the attention of attorney Martha Patterson, known as the elder law mom. It's just, I think the most terrible thing anybody can do is not let a loved one have visitors. I mean, to isolate them, to not let them have loved ones is just, it's just awful. It's time for Gervy's Law, the intersection of law and life. It turns out that Martha has already been booked as a guest on a radio law show Carrie co-hosts for ABC stations. And we are now joined with uh, by Martha Patterson, who is an elder care attorney and a great one at that. She- we interview her, and after the interview, she comes up to me and she says, you know you can see your dad. And I'm thinking, oh, this woman... She doesn't know the story very well. You know, she's it's so sweet. But I, I'm like, well, I, we've tried everything, Martha. You know, I, how, why do you think I can see my dad? She's like, well, there's the patient's bill of rights. Have you heard of it? I said, no. Now, remember, I've been dealing with attorneys for months and months and months and months at this time. I've never heard of the patient's bill of rights. And she said, oh, yeah. That was past 20-something years ago. So, okay, do tell. The law is super clear on this. It's a federal law that says that in a licensed facility, the patient has the right to visitors if they want them. That is the Bill of Rights. We're going to go into Berkeley East, and I'm, I'm going to get you visitation with your dad. <laughs> this little sweet-looking like PTA mom looking, pearl wearing, little blonde bob, blue eyes, little glasses. Just like the sweetest thing turned into this bulldog because <laughs> she knew the law inside and out. Armed with this new information, Martha Carey and her boyfriend Jesse march into the Santa Monica care facility and hand over a form no one on the nursing staff has seen before. The Patient's Bill of Rights. They looked up the laws, and I'm sure they called their attorneys and everything. They said, you know, we really want you to see your dad. We really do. And you can see him. Carrie just 
she just like broke down for a second because she hadn't seen her dad in so long and she didn't know what condition he was in. Carrie calls her sister Julie and they all hurry into Casey's room. This is the first time they've seen him in five months. I looked at the room and I could see that the staff had brought up the birthday greetings and they were on the bulletin board. But other than that, the room was barren. And that's unusual to see a room that barren. There's usually little cards, um, things around that show that people have been visiting, but he had none of that. You could just tell that nobody had been there to visit him. Nobody that loved him, nobody that cared for him had come to visit remember my dad looking at us and sitting up like like he he was already up but he he just sat up a little more and his eyes widened and his smile was across his face and the two nurses that were with him taking care of him were like smiling as well and we just ran over and we just hugged him and just (sighs) told him how much we loved him and We're sorry that we haven't been able to see him, but we're here now and we're going to stay and we love you, Dad. And and he looked good, you know, he looked good. It is a precious, precious memory to me to see, you know, Casey Kasem just watching this dad be just soaking up that love. And I, I remember one moment he just turned and he, he mouthed, thank you. And he had the biggest smile on his face. His, you could sense that he was just thrilled to have his family. He, he deserved that. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, he didn't deserve it because he was famous. He deserved it because he was a dad who deserved to see his daughters, to see his family, to talk to his friends, to have visitors. He deserved that. Carrie's brother was overseas. They FaceTimed him. He got to see his dad and talk to him. And, you know, he's in the hospital bed. And literally, I remember seeing Casey's feet just, like, moving constantly. He was so, he was full of energy and he was really happy. The facility informs the group that they have to let Jean know about the visit. We didn't want that kind of confrontation that wouldn't have been, you know, pleasant for Casey. It was just so sad because, you know, I could tell he knew that she was going to try and prevent them from seeing him again. And when we were leaving, he said, when will you be back? We're like, Dad, we're coming back every day, every day. And he'd always say, I love you, Angel. He'd always say that. We were told by the staff that they would have to tell Jean. But at this point, my lawyer had gone to the courtroom to get an injunction to stop him from being moved. And I thought, okay, well, she can't do it. Back to the early morning hours of May 7th, 2014. Two black SUVs pull up to the Berkeley East Convalescent Center in Santa Monica. Jean Kasem, Casey's wife, gets out. She is furious. 
She's just learned about the visit that Carrie, Julie, Jesse, and Martha paid to her husband earlier that day. She storms the building. Within one or two days, we were at the Berkeley facility and questioning all of the staff, talking to the doctors, anyone that we could to get the facts of what happened. Logan Clark, a private investigator, has been helping Carrie search for her father. He speaks to the staff about that night. We spoke to Nurse Jennifer at the facility, and she knew the case extremely well, and she signed an entire affidavit attesting to everything. Nurse Jennifer's sworn declaration says that night, Jean arrived with her daughter, Liberty, and a caretaker demanding Casey's release, citing privacy issues. Jean was told that Casey cannot be moved because he had the feeding machine tube in his stomach. Jean said, okay, I'll take the machine. Jennifer said, you can't take the machine. It belongs to the hospital. And she said, no, I'm taking the machine. I'm taking him with or without it. Doctors warned Gene that Casey must be monitored hourly for choking and that patients with Louis body dementia will be emotionally triggered by relocation. This can cause rapid decline in cognition, and that can be fatal. I spoke to Dr. Leitner. And he made it incredibly clear. He said, if you do this, it will kill Mr. Kaysom. Along with the feeding tube, Gene also takes two cans of Osmolite, the nutrition used for that tube. But that amount will only last one to two days. It was crazy. It was, I kept saying, she did what? It, it was just, it was nuts. It's now 2.30 in the morning. The facility staff tells Jean that if she insists on removing Casey from the hospital, she must sign a form called an AMA, Against Medical Advice. Jean refuses. She then places her husband in a wheelchair and hurries him into the black SUV. Casey's daughter, Liberty, reportedly gets in the SUV with Casey while Jean follows in a separate car. We could have taken him, we could have taken care of him. We would have loved him, we would have been there. My dad had more than enough money to be taken care of at home. And more than that, my dad was a human being. He he deserved the best care, not only from caretakers, but his own wife. But then she just vanished with him. And just like that, Casey Kasem, the world's most legendary radio voice for over four decades, becomes a missing person. Our team of producers reached out repeatedly to Gene and Liberty Kasem to participate in this story. A lawyer for Gene told us this isn't a good time for Gene to speak. 
Liberty did not respond to our requests. Over the years, Jean has denied any allegations of abuse. Coming up this season on Bitter Blood, Kasem versus Kasem. They seemed very much in love, very much in sync. Obviously, Jean didn't have the same feelings for the kids that Linda did. She came along and didn't want those kids anywhere near her. It was a nightmare. The abuse from Jean was immeasurable. I mean, it was nonstop. She yelled, literally yelled at us, nobody comes into this house. Where in the world is Casey Kasem? His children. I had an entire team working on this thing. Airports, ambulance companies, private plane companies. I literally felt like I was part of like a murder mystery on television. I felt like a spy. And she chucks this like frozen meat at me. And she keeps going off. Carrie Kasem and her hired liars decided to kill my husband today. They all have blood on their hands. And I'm looking at her and going, I have no blood on my hands. I have done everything right. You have blood on your hands. Where on earth is Casey Kasem? The radio icon's body is missing. I chased after Casey when he was alive. And I had to chase after him when he was dead. Hi, my name is Liberty Kasem. They took my father and they murdered him. A lot of it was taking a die trip to crazy town, frankly. She believed that Carrie Kasem was not the biological daughter of her father, her husband. She's telling me everything this woman and my stepmother are planning to do to me. I want to bury her. That's what she said. I would like to see my doctor. And I'm in a lot of pain. And I had a very, very bad night. There have been a few who have said, let it go. I couldn't stop fighting. I couldn't stop fighting. Would you tell that to grieving parents who just lost a child to neglect and abuse? How do you do that to somebody? How do you how do you do that to somebody who gave you everything and loved you? How do you do that to his children? No one deserved to go out that way. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. 